It's time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. Welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and Your Golden Years. This evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And today is Sunday, September the 24th, 2023, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and we are back live with another great program for you. And Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us as usual to make the show run smoothly. In a little while after the break, we'll be joined from Australia by author and depression recovery specialist Bob Eden to discuss his journey to recovering from depression and to embracing a joyful life. And then later, I will be talking about living with passion while advocating for our elders. After the show, you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website and the link to this podcast podcast will be posted later tonight along with all of the website links that we discuss on the program. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years, or you can listen on Apple Podcasts. For information from previous shows, to listen to previous shows going all the way back since we've been on Blog Talk Radio for nine and a half years, go to my website, drmaricarpell.com. You can also hear all of the programs on blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years, and they're also all on Apple Podcasts. And for upcoming programs and future events, be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This show is produced by Accomplished Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions. And we're going to take a brief break to play a couple of our sponsors' commercials, but don't go anywhere because we'll be back very shortly with Bob Eden to talk about his journey recovering from depression to embracing a joyful life. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed services or supplies you never received. There are three easy things you can do to prevent fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and look for any suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or call your local Medicare SHIP program at 1-800-252-9240. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. 
And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining us on the phone from Australia is author and depression recovery specialist, Bob Eden. Welcome, Bob. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. All right. So just so you know that when we speak like this, and the audience should know that too, there's a slight delay because it feels like we're talking on the phone, but it's, yes. (laughs) So it's good to know. Well, welcome, Bob. It's so good to have you on the program. Um, I know we met when you called into the show to comment on how you're living your best life at this time of your life after a journey of recovery from depression. So I'm very glad that you're joining us to discuss this important topic. Um, How are you doing? How's everything going? Well, great. Well, great. Um, I'll pick up the talk. I'll pick up the talking stick in a minute. Um, okay. Where I would like to start, yeah. Where I would like to start is just to describe what my life is like now, um, and then um, go into like how I got here. But um, if it's okay with you, I'll pick up the talking stick and and that just share great. What, what my life is like now. Okay, so mm-hmm. if you could. Uh, just uh, mute yourself while I'm talking um, so um, it doesn't break my flow, if that's okay. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah, because like everything I do, um, this is my 59th year as a paid stage performer, so I've been winging it on stage for <laughs> nearly 60 years. So what follows now comes from my heart. Ah. Oh. I am master and commander of this life that I do create, and I take full responsibility for it. And I drive my life under two basic principles. The first principle is the KISS principle. Keep it simple, sovereign. Yes, I changed it because I realized that the words I choose to use actually shape my reality. So for me, it's keep it simple, sovereign. And the second principle is the SUE principle, S-U-E, which is something I coined about 15 years ago. And it just stands for all are sovereign, unique, and equal, and everything else flows from that. And both of those principles reside under the umbrella of integrity. Because without personal integrity, none of this magic that I experienced in my life could have happened. Because if I can lie to myself, I can lie to anybody. So now, for me, my life is really, really simple. There is only one law, God's law, do no harm. And I've only got one right, and that is the right of (sighs) self-determination. And I'm 71 now, and I've never had such a zest for life. Um... And there were sort of three steps to that, um, finding my mission. My first step was, uh, as master and commander, I I asked myself this question. um, What's my life purpose? 
Well, I'm master and commander. So I set my life purpose to be to simply find my own truth. And how do I know what is my truth? Whatever resonates with my heart. So, bang! I got the big one out of the way. And then the second question I asked myself was, as a spiritual being, having a physical experience, how do I want to experience this life? So at that time, which is about 2005, maybe a bit later, I set my own conscious life intention to be, I am here to have a gentle, joyful, loving, healthy and abundant life. Now that I am here to have is my direct command to the universe, but it's also my address to the universe, so the universe knows where to deliver what I've commanded. <laughs> and ever since I put okay. that conscious life tension in place, that is precisely how my life is unfolding. I'm just kicking back and um, letting the universe do all the hard work. So those are the first two elements, but the third one, what, why I feel so alive now, is through my own journey in dealing with depression, I'm, I'm on a mission to eradicate suicide, and I know it's doable. Um, and how can I put it? I've used my own um, history as an example. I had my first panic attack in November 1984, I woke up and my body was, my arms and legs were just thrashing around and they frightened the heck out of my, my wife. <laughs> uh, and I wasn't too pleased. I wasn't too pleased with it either. Um, and so I fell into the Western medical model, went to my doctor, a great doctor, he delivered my son. And he put me on um, benzodiazepines, um, Ativan I think it was. Uh, and it should have been for two weeks, uh, but I ended up being on antidepressants so close on 25 years now hindsight is like 2020 vision isn't it um looking back to that moment uh what i was so afraid of my fear there uh and it felt life-threatening fear it was these the power these feelings are having you know i just and that's why the the medication was useful and it should have been only for a couple of weeks but what happened was um, and all the anti, from my own research, all antidepressants do this. They numb, they numbed me from my feelings, so mm -hmm. I couldn't get in touch with my feelings. But now, knowing what I do know, is that how powerful the feelings that I was having at that time is simply a measure of how powerful I am as a human being. And it was through embracing my feelings that I was e able to heal the wounds of my childhood. And so I did that with sort of um, two approaches. Um, one was in early the early 90s. I discovered John Bradshaw's work on um, the inner child and healing the shame that binds you. And his work was like, fundamental. Um, and, you know, people can read my story just by joining my mailing list, and we'll talk about that later. Um, mm -hmm. But the other the other realization that I had was, because I've been going back and forth to my childhood so often, um, I realized that all those wounds, all those moments of terror, 
actually got stored in my body as body memories. And so as I went through life taking on more programs and more programs and more programs, um, how can I put it? I was moving so far away in the way I was living. I was moving so far away from my heart-centered moral compass, my heart-centered sense of knowing that I was mm-hmm. living an external life. You know, I believe that acquisition, uh, getting things, meant I was successful. So I was living in headspace. My intellect, which is amazing, was having a ball, but my soul and spirit were dying. And my body put up with that for so long, long enough, until that day in November 1994, when it just went whack. And it slapped so, me. So with that, I'm gonna, that, I'm that, gonna, that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna interrupt you, Bob, because I want to, yeah. want to ask you, how did you know what to do to get yourself back on track? What, what did you do that led you on the right path to where you are now? Well, it's simple, and that goes back to the Kiss principle. It was simple. I found but, but, a way to go with. Go with But did you did you find that on your own? I please don't interrupt. I'm trying to I'm trying uh-huh. to reply okay. to your first question. Uh-huh. Yeah. I've found i this is a Bob word. I have found all my own solutions, that's solutions within my own heart. But I had to learn how to silence my mind and move out of headspace move into heart space, I had to find a way, and I did, of how to silence my mind so that I could really, really heal, um, yeah, find my answers, listen to my heart, and listen to my body. And that's something I realized, that my body always knows what it needs, and it's always sending me messages. I just have to listen to those messages and not medicate them, which is the current... A societal model, you know. Um, if I get a headache in the old days, I take a painkiller. But for me now, if I get a headache, that's a message from my body. So I sit up and listen. Okay, what's this is a symptom? What's the cause? Okay, I'm dehydrated. I need to drink water or something like that. You know. So I don't med- I don't deny any message that comes from my body. And. The way I learned to silence my mind was in 1995, I quit my proper grown-up job in automotive research, bought a VW Combi, 11-piece van, and uh, (laughs) sold everything and went off around Australia as a folk singer. Um, And I went around eight times over 10 years. But that that voyage was like a leap of faith. but luckily, I had Shakti Gawain's book on uh, creative visualization. And so I created this visualization in my mind's eye. And it's it's like a scene from a James Bond movie. Dun, 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 dun. And I'm running down this underground tunnel, this concrete tunnel, fluorescent lights in the ceiling. I get to the end of the tunnel, and there's this big glass sliding door. And beyond... Through the door, I can see the computer hard drives of my mind. So as I approach the door, it slides open, 
and I can hear them humming, hear them humming. And over on the right-hand side wall, there was a big red switch. So I was over to the switch, and somebody had posted a health warning above the head, which said, beware, thinking can seriously damage your well-being. And I thought, good on you, mate. So I just grabbed hold of that big red switch and went clunk and shut down the hard drives of my mind. And so I walked away as the hard drives were spinning down. Now, I played that into a video over and over and over and over and over again till this realization came out, and that was uh, my mind is just a tool that I use when I choose, for I am so much more than my mind. And now, um, being the spiritual mechanic, um, that little idea, it's just, you know, my mind is just another tool in my toolbox. But I treat my mind now how I treat my little puppy dog. I say, come here, mind, come here, mind. Because, you know, I'm a good parent. Uh, uh, I've got to look after my tools. I've got to look after, you know, my mind when it needs exercising. So I say, come here, mind. You go off and do some research into sonoluminescence or something. And, you know, and so off it goes, wagging its little tail because it's had some attention from the master, me. Then it comes back later. <laughs> gives me the report okay. and I put it on the head, give it a retreat and say, thank you very much, mind. You've done a great job. Now back in your basket, I'll take you for another run tomorrow. And so that's, that was how uh, I was able to silence my mind. And now I, I only use my mind uh, when I need to. Most of my day is spent in hard space. I wake up, my body wakes me up about 3 a.m., and I generally wake up giggling, and if I don't, I'll listen to Billy Connolly or something that will make me giggle, you know, mm-hmm. so it either happens automatically or I consciously do that to start every day with a giggle, like a dolphin. I've learned from dolphins, um, <laughs> and so my, my, my day consists of something will gain my attention, so I'll give it some time. It's probably tinkering with an outboard motor, and then, oh, the grass looks a bit long, I'll get on the ride-on mower, and I love the ride-on mower. It's it's my mower meditation. So I fill most of my day in activities that put me in the zone. Mm-hmm. Put me in the zone, and my life is amazing. <laughs> so, so can I ask you? Can I ask you a question now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah okay. Sure. So for people listening who are struggling with depression. I mean, it sounds to me like I, I, I'm familiar with Shakti Gawain. I've read her, I've read her book, um, and it's a visual, creative visualization. Um, and it sounds like a lot of what you do is really a form of meditation and doing things that put you into that meditative zone and, and also focusing on your body rather than getting stuck in your thoughts. Um, do you have recommendations for people who are listening, who are struggling with depression, who might not be familiar with some of those techniques that you're describing? Well, the, the big love bomb that I would like to drop is, um, and it ties in with my mission is that for me, there is no such thing as mental illness. Um, and I'll, I'll use depression as an example 
Um, so when I, you know, when I woke up November 1984 and I was thrashing around, thrashing around, thrashing around, those behaviours were just my body's desperate way of trying to tell me, Bob, stop, wake up, find your truth, find your heart, live it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'll move on to ADHD now. Um, and when I was a little tucker in school, I can remember sitting there bouncing up and down in my chair while the teacher was blah, 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 blah. And I didn't want to be sitting still, you know. I wanted to be out playing cowboys and Indians and running around. And, and you know, childhood is not an illness. Um, and so maybe if our education or indoctrination system <coughs> would actually meet the, the body needs of their pupils, let the kids mm-hmm. run out and play till they're tired, then get back, get them back in the classroom. Uh, right. So that's my explanation for ADHD. Again, it's those those behaviours are just a message from your body telling you what it needs. Hey, hey, don't sit here. I need to exercise. I need to run and fly and skip and hop and jump. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this one will probably sound controversial. But it's for me, it's just... And what I'm sharing is my own life experience and the results of any research that I've personally carried out. So it's I don't see it as an opinion. These are just the conclusions I've come to after spending over 30 years uh, on this mm-hmm. gig. But I'll, I'll look at PTSD. Now, going back to our inner compass, our inner moral compass, and... The ultimate state of being for for a human being, I believe, is that state of unconditional love. But I, I believe that everyone in their own moral compass knows what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so for any poor soldier who, through generations and generations and generations of programming, goes to another country and takes the life of somebody that looks just like you, or even witnesses that, then for me, that is the ultimate soul wound. Mm-hmm. And there's a price to pay for it. So, you know, I'm not blaming the, the person that's carried out that act, but in some measure, they have been responsible for living their programming and then getting that soul wound and the pain and distress and horror that they're living through after that, even with medication, you know, is is the price to pay. But there is a way through, and that's by going within, finding everybody's on their, hero, their own hero's journey. And for me, it's all about everybody, everybody, taking total responsibility the life that they are creating and have created and fess up yeah damn you know I thought it was honourable to defend my country you know but um, the, the biggest sin for me is just to take another life and so mm-hmm. you know that's, and, and I'm working with people like that and this phrase is just is so powerful for me you know I do a lot of I do a lot of work in what they call suicide prevention, but for me that's too little, too late. Um, mm-hmm. 
intervention should occur when somebody first presents with you know depression and they are offered alternative modalities to heal other than medication yeah i'm with you i'm with you bob (laughs) i'm a psychologist i work with people who have ptsd and i'm a psychologist so i'm not big on medication although as you said sometimes temporarily it helps to get you you know able to engage in other things that will be helpful but it's not uh, it's not a cure it's 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 all the other things that help um and and it sounds like in your experience and what you experienced yourself i was really listening to your your lived experience when you woke up with a panic attack and realized that it was all these things that had built up inside of you. And it sounds like other than the the meditation that you've found in various activities that you've done, but it's also that you found your passion, which is what, you know, that's a big part of it. And that's a big part of what I talk about on this program is when people find their passion and what really um, they feel called to do it's actually um, a really big step toward overcoming depression and anxiety. Very often what's waking you up in the middle of the night is that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing to help other people, right? Passion, passion also includes helping other people and doing what brings you joy at the same time. Does that yeah, does yeah. that sound like it fits with your life, your life experience? Yeah, and for me, there are two or three key steps. Um, one, my childhood was very violent. Mum just exploded, you know. Um, so I got hit whether I was, you know, if I got in range, I got hit whether I was good or bad, which is really crazy-making for the young mind. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the message is that... The messages I got from mum were, mum's always beaten me, therefore she does not love me, therefore I'm unlovable and it's all my fault. And the message I got from dad was, dad was living his programming. He was a mythical creature. He went to work before I got up and he came home after I was in bed. So dad never spent any time with me, therefore he does not love me, therefore I'm unlovable and it's all my fault. And so... By doing the John Bradshaw work um, and writing, I was at that stage where, in, in the early 90s, God, I hate you, Mum, you're always beating me. But you've only got one Mum, you've got to love your Mum. And it was that dichotomy that was tearing my soul apart. But simply <laughs> by sharing my story with Mum, and it, it ended up uh, being a letter that's about an inch thick. Um, and mum telling me her story, I realised that mum, yes, she was, she had a violent childhood too. So mum mm-hmm. was doing her best, but all she could do was dump on me what got dumped on her. But by sharing mm-hmm. our stories, mm-hmm. I was able to move from hate through understanding back to love. And my healing was not complete until I was able to forgive my abusers. So after I wrote the letter to mum, 
and we spoke on the phone a couple of days later and then a couple of days after that she died that was a beautiful closure and then mm-hmm. but I, and it was like somebody had taken an elephant off my shoulders but there was still a little niggle there once this niggle I thought right dad you bastard so I got the notepad out and wrote a letter to dad who'd already died but I just said, Dad, why didn't you take me fishing? Why didn't you you uh, come to school sports day? And just put it in an envelope to Dad in heaven and burned it. Mm -hmm. Because I realised. But by writing those letters, for me, I actually broke the multi-generational cycle of abuse. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's big. I mean, I think it's really, really a big step to see that it's passed down from generation to generation and what they did was not, doesn't make it right, but it was the best that they could do with what they were given. Right. Yeah. Well, there's a caveat to mum's story. Probably okay. about eight, eight years ago, I contacted mum through a spiritual medium and this lady told me stuff that only mum and I knew. So I knew she was fair dinkum. Hmm. Uh, you know, and the message I got from mum was, uh, Bobby, 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 thank you so much for writing that letter because I am now doing the same work with my own parents in the beyond. And that huh. blew me away. Absolutely yeah, blew me away. That's pretty wild. Yeah. So you said that you travel around Australia or you were traveling around Australia as a folk singer? Is that what I heard you yeah. say? Yeah. Do you still do that? Uh, my, passion, my passion has changed now. Um, um, I moved from music to writing. Um, and all my writing comes through me, not from me. That's where my books mm-hmm. come from, all the insights I've gotten. It's all tied into my mission. Um, I'm trying to get back into my music because, um, but I broke my left wrist a couple of years ago and it didn't set right. So it's like I've got to learn to play the guitar all over again. But mm-hmm. I can see that as because I have connections in all the major festivals around Australia, I can actually go there and get paid to perform. But also I can do a presentation on the gift of depression and mm. you know, and the stuff I'm talking about. So I can. I can use that as a, you know, a double whammy, if you like. Right, right. But so you said then, that you, that you yeah. <laughs> but until you said then, that you're working with doing, people. Yeah, but until then, I'll keep on doing radio shows like this. Okay. I've done over, <laughs> I think this one is my number two hundred and first. Um, oh wow! Plus I've got dozens of video interviews. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. And you said that you work you work with people who are depressed. Yeah, I start, I used to run support groups in when I lived in Fremantle okay. in the nineties, but then I started traveling okay. around. Mm-hmm. But now I'm mm-hmm. living in my caravan under a big old mango tree, and I started um, uh, a self support group. Here in the in the Whitsundays, it's called On the Mend, with an emphasis on men, on the mend. But ladies are welcome too. And what I like about what's happening in Australia at the moment, there is a growing groundswell 
of re- pe- people realizing that the only experts on depression or mental illness are those ordinary folks that have found their way through. So the the benefit, the value of sharing lived experiences is really gaining momentum. And almost mm-hmm. every week there's um, another support group and I'm part of a, a nationwide panel that's putting together guidelines to recommend to government, um, you know, how we should be dealing with depression. You can't, you cannot, you cannot legislate healing. For me, healing starts by bums on seats around the campfire, people sharing their stories, people mm-hmm. feeling safe to be vulnerable. You know, you can't. It, this this healing movement cannot come from the top down. It's got to come from the ground up. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's happening. It's happening, and that's that's, that's why great. I feel so great. That's great. I mean, that I agree with you. I think that support groups are are really extremely powerful to talk to other people who are who un, really understand what you're going through. Although everybody's experience is slightly different, um, they're the main theme. Um, you can, you know, you you talk to someone who really understands. So that's great. Um, how do people find out about your support groups? How do they, how do they join in? Is that on your website? Um, it's on my Facebook page, um, and all my all my works can be found by typing into Google the gift of depression. Bob Eden, and everything that I do will come up. And um, my YouTube channel, YouTube, I've got loads of videos on there on on this topic and the personal growth. And in the show notes, there's all the links, links to my mailing list and links to all the books. Um, And if people want to help me on my mission, uh, the best way to do that is to subscribe to my uh, YouTube channel and subscribe to my mailing list because it's all about getting the numbers, getting the numbers. What is your YouTube channel? How did how do they find you there? Just your name? Yeah, Bob Eden. Okay. And that'll just it'll pop up. Okay. Yeah. So what I'm gonna do, you know, I I have a website post about this show and after the program later this evening i'll be um it'll have the podcast about this program and it'll also have all of those links that you just mentioned so i will do the google search for everyone and i will have that link youtube channel and your mailing list and that way people can just go to my website post about the show and they can click on all those things and it'll just take them there and if they want to connect okay. The easiest way to connect is just uh, find me on Facebook, Bob Eden, and I'm the one that is sailing in paradise. Just send me a friend request because I'm always Bob on Eden sailing in paradise. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so again, I'll put that on there as well. Thank you. And and how can people find your books? Again, um, if they search The Gift of Depression, which is the title of my book, uh, one of my books, 
um, on Google, The Gift of Depression, space, Bob Eden. It, or it's listed there on Amazon. Okay. So they're available on Amazon to purchase. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And all my video, all right. YouTube videos are free. Okay. All right. Great. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for for making time to be on this program. And, oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much. Stay in touch, and and it's good luck to you. It sound, all sounds really great. And thank you for yeah, what you're well, doing. Yeah. Regaining my belief in myself was like the biggest bridge I crossed, you know. But it took a leap of mm-hmm. faith. I had, to, I had to bet my life on trusting my inner tuition. But that's another right. story. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks so much. Um, you have a wonderful day. What time of day is it over there? Uh, just after eight thirty, eight thirty-five, ish. In the morning. I don't, yeah, I don't wear a watch, and I do not own a pair of shoes. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, you have a wonderful day over there in in Australia, and um, and thanks so much for being on the program. Anytime, darling. Anytime. All right. Bye bye now. Bye for now. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Um, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaracarpell.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. All right. So um, taking, taking a springboard off of that and talking about what makes me passionate, and that is talking about um, advocating for our elders, and um, we've—I've been talking about this for a while, and I want to talk about a couple of other issues related to that, and how we can stay passionate when we advocate for our elders. Uh, for those of us who are actually directly um, advocating for people in our own lives, um, it's even more important. Uh, for us to take care of ourselves and to find that kernel of passion and joy while we do it. It's a really difficult journey at times. It can be really, really difficult, but it also can bring us a lot of joy um, to know that we are helping someone in our life that we really love, that we care about, and 
and in the broader picture um, can be helping many other um, people, uh, many other of our elders. And hopefully someone will do that for us one day and maybe we'll be creating a path so that when we um, are in that place, things will be a little bit easier. Um, one of the things that I have become aware of is that um, hope and optimism with regard to treatment, um, medical treatment of an older person is a balancing act. And I have witnessed that um, at one point in time, um, doctors tended to be aggressive when treating an older person who might have a medical condition and using the same treatments and the same um, level of treatment um, as they would uh, a younger person who might be physically stronger and able to handle it, um, who might not have other comorbid conditions. So they tend to just push full steam ahead. And that changed as uh, doctors realized that, you know, maybe that was not the way to go and that older people have different needs and maybe can't handle some of the same medical treatments. I'm talking about medical treatment for an illness um, in an older person. But one of the things that I noticed is that the pendulum has swung way to the other side. Um, and this goes back to the discussion that I've had here and uh, that I've written about, about ageism and ableism in the medical community. Um, many doctors, not all, luckily there are some really, really good doctors who are really attuned to the needs of older adults and are aware that older adults are not all the same. There's not a homogenous group that they have different needs and different desires, just like anybody else. Um, each person is unique, but there are many doctors um, who have gone the other direction in assuming that all older adults just want to be kept comfortable if they're sick, um, if they have an illness, and that they're ready to, for their life to end um, when faced with a severe illness rather than trying to treat the illness if it's treatable. Um, and as I said, the important factor is that I don't think that a lot of doctors who are not experienced with older adults um, or, or very experienced with older adults, um, tend to see older people as a homogenous group and that, that they all want the same thing. That if they're 90 and they have, they're faced with a sudden illness, that they're ready to just say, okay, just make me comfortable. I'm ready to die. And not everybody, not every older person feels that way. Some people who are 90 years old, would like to try to be treated if there is a treatment um, because they enjoy living and they want to keep on living. Um, some people are really ready for their lives to end 
They don't want to fight a serious illness. They feel like they don't want any potential discomfort. Um, they feel like their quality of life is not very good already, so they're ready to go. But other people who are the same age, with the same medical conditions, embrace life and want to try whatever can be done realistically, within realistic limits. Some treatments will cause discomfort, and for an elderly, per elderly person, it might be too much to handle. But what I have become aware of is that modern medicine has made so many breakthroughs in treatments that even in the last year or two, um, to treat major illnesses such as various types of cancer, um, that there are actually treatments that an older person with all kinds of other medical conditions and other medications that they're taking can potentially tolerate and can actually improve their quality of life. That it won't make them more uncomfortable. It might actually help to make them more comfortable. So, for example, in the past couple of years, there's been a great progress in the use of radiation treatment as a palliative treatment, as well as a life-extending treatment, meaning that there are types of radiation treatments that don't cause great discomfort. We tend to think of radiation as causing really intense discomfort, but there's actually a type of treatment with radiation that has the potential of extending the life of somebody who has certain forms of cancer, but at the same time, even if it doesn't, can actually decrease the amount of pain that that person has. So there have been positive outcomes with older adults. We're talking about frail elderly adults. Um, for cancer, using a very focused radiation at a high level of radiation only one time a week, for example, for a few weeks, that can actually decrease symptoms and has the potential of extending life. Another treatment that can also be done along with the radiation or separately is immunotherapy, which is not a not a uh, medication, but actually a protein that stimulates the body's own immune system, that chemotherapy that can actually, again, decrease the symptoms, decrease the pain that a person might experience from cancer at the same time as having the potential of extending life. Um, and from what I have learned recently, um, even people who are younger and eligible for chemotherapy sometimes choose the immunotherapy because it has fewer side effects and can be effective. So I'm not a medical doctor, and my point here is not to make medical recommendations, but I'm bringing it up because it's common for general practitioners um, who are usually the first line of contact when an elderly person goes to the hospital or even in, in their long-term care facility, um, who will look at an elderly person who might look frail 
in their bed because they're not feeling well at that moment and advise the family to just take them home or have them live in the long-term care facility and not do any kind of treatment, just make them comfortable or have them put on hospice without even having an evaluation by a specialist who can discuss possible options to extend life or at least increase the quality of life. And again, those doctors might believe that they're doing a service because they're keeping the expectations low so that there's not disappointment and they are um, encouraging comfort, care, so they, rather than pushing an elderly person through what they believe to be uncomfortable and can cause more pain, but it seems as though a lot of those frontline general practitioners are unaware of the the newer treatments that can actually be beneficial for an older person and can help them without causing greater pain and can actually eliminate or decrease the pain. And I think part of it is based on that ageist and ableist belief that if someone is not physically um, able to walk or they need help with their activities of daily living, like taking a shower, getting dressed, that that person must not be living a good quality of life. And we can't use such a broad brush to describe all elderly people or all people who have any kind of disability. It's a very ableist view and a very ageist view. Quality of life does not depend on one's physical abilities. It, quality of life is in the eye of the person who is living that life. And what feels like a high quality of life to one person might not feel that way to another. So someone who is in a wheelchair who needs help to get dressed and to shower may still enjoy a high quality of life. There may still be activities going to listen to music, engaging with friends and family, enjoying whatever passion they have in their life that they can still do from that place um, in their wheelchair. And as I've talked about in my book, The Passionate Life, which is about living a passionate life at age. And what I've talked about in talks that I've given and on this program, that even someone at 100 years old can have a high, can have a high quality of life and can live their passion by doing things um, that they enjoy doing and they can be compassionate and they can be generous and they can add to other people's lives. Even if they're not physically able to do things for them, they can smile, they can offer a smile, that they can be generous with their caring and their kindness. And that in itself can bring about a high quality of life and joy and passion. So giving up on someone because of their age, because of their physical capabilities is 
an ageist and ableist perspective. And as advocates for our elderly loved ones, we are the ones who often have to push to make sure that we know what our loved one wants, what they feel is a pet, is living a quali- high quality of life, and whether or not they want to take a little bit of discomfort or a little bit of risk of discomfort with a treatment for um, when they're faced with a serious illness or whether, or whether they just want to be made comfortable. It's our job to find that out and to then transmit that to the medical practitioners because most doctors will not ask that question of the, of the elderly patient. Most, most doctors, as I have come to see, will make their own assumptions. So as advocates, as family members, we're the ones who have to speak up. And we're the ones who have to push for what our loved one wants. It may not be what's offered by the medical practitioners, and very often it isn't, and we kind of have to push for that. If they, if the message is just take them home and make them comfortable, but we we know that our loved one would like a little bit more than that, would like to see if there's treatment, then it's our job to request that they be seen by a specialist who knows what those, whether or not there are options. That's all that we're asking for is to find out whether or not there are options. And we may be pleasantly surprised and find out that there are options that our loved ones can um, can handle. And there's a lot of research in hope, which is not, hope is different than optimism. Optimism is also really powerful, and there's a lot of research in optimism in terms of being optimistic about a treatment, having a better outcome for the treatment. Um, If we're optimistic that it can work, there can be a better outcome. But if we're optimistic about everything, overly optimistic about life and everything is great, then the danger is going to the far side of that where we don't notice when something's not going well and looking for knowing that, uh uh-oh, something's not going well, we need to check out what we can do about it. So, um being optimistic about a treatment is different than just generally being overly optimistic about everything and everything is fine. We need to be open to things not being fine and taking steps to do something about it if there is anything to do about it. But hope is separate. And I've had um, a, speak, uh, a guest on this program who did a lot of research in hope and wrote a book about it. Um, what I noticed is that a lot of the those general doctors who make assumptions have actually said that their goal is to get the family to give up hope because they themselves don't have hope. Um, but the research shows that hope is actually a big part of having a positive outcome. Um, 
Hope does not mean that we, it's not, the, it's not the same as a prayer. It's not the same as being overly optimistic. Hope means that we, we have a feeling that there might, we have hope that there might be something that we can do to create a positive outcome and we look for the steps to do that. So hope is a is what motivates us to find what we need to do in the situation. Um, having a doctor try to get the family to give up on hope is not is is a, it goes against positive outcome. So I'm going to leave it there. And I'm going to put it out there if there are any doctors who are listening to this program, especially doctors who specialize in working with older adults, if you have something that you'd like to contribute to this program and to talk about this, please contact me. And I would love to have you on the show to talk about it. All right. So on that note, um, we're going to wrap up the program, and I'll let you know what's coming up next time. So next Sunday, October 1st, we'll be back live. And our guest, Carol Popovar, returns to the show from Hawaii. Carol is an adjunct professor at, the, at Hawaii Pacific University and is a playwright, poet, director, producer, and teacher of American history, civil law, and writing. And now Carol is um, has taken on the hat of a fiction writer, and she joins us to discuss her first book in her historical mystery series, A Murder on Allen Street, and her creative projects that she's doing. She's going to talk about that as well. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from this show, get those website links that we discussed uh, with our guest, Bob Eden, Go to my website, drmaricarpel.com, and the podcast along with those links will be posted later tonight. You can also listen to this evening's program in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly to blog talk radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years. And you can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts in five minutes. Be sure to follow me on Facebook to find out what's coming up by going to Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions. Thank you to my guest, Bob Eden, and thank you to Art, and thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe. Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any information on this program. <laughs>